Welcome to the Warrior Workout Network podcast. Just before we begin, I wanted to give a quick introduction because we're going to do it a little different this week. Uh, at the end of the episode, uh, we really liked the way that Dr. Gordon finished it out. So, uh, you know, we were talking a little afterwards and Rook edited something real good. So I wanted to throw it at the front of the episode. So I'm going to front load something that happened at the back of the episode completely after we were supposed to have stopped rolling. We were done with the episode and just chatting at this point. Um, but it, it just it was beautiful. It resonates. So we're front loading the episode this way. I hope you guys enjoy. Check us out at www.warriorworkoutnetwork.org. We got Dr. Chris Ann Gordon from Resurrecting Lives Foundation, resurrectinglives.org. Check them out. You know, they are everything TBI. You know, They're currently uh, promoting the uh, Haka Hay, you know, 10,000 10, miles raising money for TBI. Incredible. All right, go check it out. That's enough of me flapping my gums. This 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 episode, I don't I don't know why it was hitting me so hard. It, it was really uh, kind of bringing back some you know memories and things of that nature. And and <clears throat> you know I'm the I'm the I'm the spiritual dude. So uh, I I was watching uh, this a long time ago, but I was watching this thing and and it had a military chaplain on it, and they were asking him why. You know, he signed up to be a military chaplain because, you know, they don't carry weapons and they're on the front lines. And don't you know you can die and stuff? And uh, he, and this has always stuck with me, but his quote was, you know, to see the miracles of God, you have to go to the front lines. And, um, you know, I, listening to all to this, this episode and just, you know, what Paul's been through, through what you've been through, Doc G, what you've been through coming back from your traumatic brain injury. I mean, all this stuff, it plays into everything. And, you know, as, as this episode was going on and I, I, I'm sure you guys noticed, like I, I got quiet cause I got really deep in thought and I had to pull myself back into the episode. Um, you know, I used to think that maybe that quote was, you know, what we survive in war and and the miracles are what normal people are doing normal people are doing extraordinary things to save each other and be there for their brother and 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 the things they survive and stuff and you know as we were going through this episode and all the numbers and suicides and things of that nature um the note that i wrote here was you know i used to think that this quote was about what you see men survive in combat you know to see the miracles of god you have to go to the front lines and i maybe maybe the easy part of of the front lines maybe maybe we weren't even on the front lines maybe we weren't we weren't even in the real battle yet and what i'm saying is it's there there's a huge battle now that we're back home and it's with substance abuse and drugs and antidepressants and self-destruction and survivor's guilt. And something just kept ringing to me through this whole episode, which is with, with all the things that they've tried to do through medications and, and, you know, I'm not saying that people didn't try to help us, but, you know, they were just kind of, you know, you know kind of numbing us with all this stuff what kind of was really striking with me is, you know, what if the miracle on the front lines is uh, us all making it through all that? All right, we're recording. We're the Warrior Workout Network. Hello, everybody. I'm Drew. With us, as always, is Sean. Hey, guys. Yo. There, yo. Changing it up on us, Rook. I threw a curveball. <laughs> right off the bat, with us we've got Dr. Chris Ann Gordon and Paul Cazera. Hey guys. Hi, how are you? Good. Hello. Good evening. Curveball's good with the beginning of baseball season. We got you. You're right there with it. So there you go, good. man. Who's I'm the, in it. You are. The, who's the? Are you guys baseball fans here? I am. 
Were you a Reds fan? I, I would never be a Reds fan. <laughs> I, I'm from Northern Ohio. I'm an Indians fan, and so far, Cleveland Rocks. We're still waiting for that series, you know, that one that will overpower the world in, so. Okay, okay, that's fine. So no, no bad blood there. Look, I like Cleveland too, it's all good. So uh, today we're talking about antidepressants, specifically SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, these are often, as we find, overprescribed um, today in I think the, you know, where does this work? Where does it begin? Is it the overprescribing from the doctors? Is it pushing from big pharma? So let's go ahead and let's dive into this. But what we're talking about is the, do SSRIs raise the risk of violent crime? Because what you're doing is when you're talking about the, the military community, you're talking about people that have a higher, you know, it, increased probability of experiencing some form of violence. And then you take that, uh, you know, they begin to struggle and then you throw an SSRI on top of it rather than go ahead and, you know, properly approaching, you know, the therapeutic methods. So, um, whew, where do we begin? Because, I mean, I know I've been down the road. Um, I, I, I was on myself um, and I've had, you know, very negative experiences with that. Um, I hope that doesn't get me. Does that get people sued? Do you get sued for stuff like that? Saying stuff like that? Like... I, I'm just gonna say stuff. I'm just gonna say. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I. I don't, <laughs> they put me on something. <laughs> no, no. I, I, uh, I think that. Uh, I mean, what you're talking about is a similar situation I had. Uh, for anybody who's listening right now, I got injured in Iraq and was, you know, pretty much did a year enlistment uh, overseas and then came back and spent three years while the Army Medical decided what they were going to do with me. During that time, I was on several different types of medications <clears throat> to, uh, you know, do whatever they wanted me to do and be acceptable and things like that. So uh, after I got out, um, it took... Um, I, I'm kind of like where you're at, Drew. I, I, I got sick and tired of kind of walking around uh, like a zombie. You know. Um, or, or having um, not so much a zombie, but maybe, maybe my emotions weren't as heightened. Like I, I just kind of was a little numb, um, you know, or cloudy. You know, things were a little cloudy. And eventually I got to a point where I said, you know, uh, I deployed and I've gone through these things mentally. And um, am I going to continue to take these things to make other people or, or comfortable or, or have the idea, a false idea that I'm comfortable with myself because I'm on these things? And so I took myself off of them, uh, which was two weeks of just felt like the worst hangover in my entire life. Um, Adderall did that. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I, I, I had, I'd made a change with that and I haven't been on anything ever since. Um, I, you know, and I do deal with depression and anxiety and things like that still, but, um, you know, I, I, I just kind of, I, I felt kind of lost. And honestly, since I've kind of got off those things and I've opened my eyes to life around me, uh, I think I've found more of myself than before. I have a question just as um, a physician, and again, not a military physician, okay, mm -hmm. not a VA physician. So you were in Iraq? Yes. For how long? A uh, full year. And during that time, what type of experiences did you have? And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, in fierce combat, but, you know, no, Engaged uh, in gunfire? Were you engaged in IED yeah. blasts? What sort of things happened with you? So, so I mean, Drew was with me as well. Um, our platoon, All the above. Uh, <laughs> everything. Yeah. Literally everything you can think of. Everything. Uh, IEDs. Um, it was mostly ro ours where we lived was rockets. Rockets. Uh, and indirect fire mortars. That, that's where you'd see, you know, like it, you're there for. 365 days and you know you've, you've you know 500 rockets lobbed at you you know like it's uh, 
that's where it's big. Then, then you have the IEDs, the small arms fire, things like that. It's more sporadic and it's, it's, uh, it's a little less engaged now than it was in the beginning, 2003s, uh, you know, when it was more force on force. Right. Because uh, they found out, you know, in those early years that they couldn't keep, they couldn't sustain fighting like that. So they had to go to more guerrilla tactics. So when we saw that and when people like Rob Will, um, his, his brother saw that. So he created these 1151 up armored Humvees, which, you know, now they're saving you in, in rolls, IED blasts, and they're, they're designed to protect you against guerrilla warfare. Um, so when we're talking about our experiences, you know, it, it was right after, you know, they put the Humvee, the door back on the Humvees. Now it's up armored. Now they're protecting the troops. And, you know, now they're trying to hit us with larger munitions to break the armor. So now this is the game of chess that we're in. I gotcha. And so there's a, several things going on because you know we say like, hey, before I was depressed. Uh, you know, the, there's depression that happens because of circumstances around you and inability to deal with them. And then there's the depression that happens on top of a major physiological bombardment of your brain for time in and time out that is not just a, a depression because you're down it's literally depletes all of the good hormones in your brain with each blast and and no way to recuperate okay so there's various degrees of depression various things that are done because of it um in the civilian world it's a take a pill and the reason being is there's very few people who undergo that. There's very few people who undergo a sustained bombardment of any particular thing. Now you can talk about um, people who are in domestic violence or, or in areas where they are attacked, but it's not that continual. It's not that hypervigilant. It's not being in another world. So when you come out, everything that your brain knew before, it is confused about now. In that particular case, what really bothers me is there's one of two things going on. Either your brain has become so bombarded that it's dull, number one. And that's the folks that oftentimes want to jack it up. Those are the, the that's that I see that want some stimulant. Um, you know, get me an amphetamine, get me cocaine, you know, let me take uh, three packs of cigarettes a day and drink about two cups of coffee every hour. You know, they're mm -hmm. trying desperately to get their brain back to normal. And then comes the people whose brains are like, kind of like you said, in a fog in one part, but super remember some really bad parts really, really well. Because that's your survival brain saying, okay, okay, now I don't know where you're going now. But if all of these circumstances happen again and you're driving down, you know, your, your road there in, in Winchester, Virginia, and something looks suspicious and comes out, go through all of these in order to survive what's about to hit you. So both uh -huh. of those are normal conditions for a war condition, but you immediately get back here and we say, okay, what we're going to have to do is we're just going to snow all their brains. And I swear to heavens, for the year that I worked as a volunteer at the VA, it's like, you know, the quieter y'all can be. <laughs> the better I mean, we can be, historically, we can be complainers. Um, You're young. Well, You've been through things. I mean, you know, young people complain. <laughs> I don't care what your, your thing is because, you know, you've got energy and this isn't the way you're supposed to be. Well, a lot of in those times, especially, you know, those were our young 20s. Our, our brains weren't even fully formed then. So you're having trauma on top of lack of sleep, on top of, you know, a not fully formed brain. Plus, you know, maybe you don't either have the coping skills or the willingness to learn the coping skills to deal with the issues that are coming at you. Um, you allow them to compound for years and your brain, I mean, your, one, your chemistry is going to change completely. Um, and you are going to become more erratic. Have you, you ever heard the, the saying, once you've lived life on the razor's edge, everything else seems dull? Yes, and it, and it was very well brought out, I thought, in the Hollywood movie Hurt Locker. I mean, I thought that one was perfect. You know, Brian, the guy goes to the grocery store and my God, is this all it is? 400 different varieties of cereal. But here's the thing I got to tell you that's really interesting is, you know, I had a, a stupid brain injury where I was putting up Christmas decorations, literally hit a brick wall. And I couldn't go to one of those stores for over a year myself because I thought, is that all it is? You know, that, I mean, give me 
to give me Cheerios and give me, you know, a Rice Krispies, all of these generic, give me five, five different things that I could get at a 7-Eleven or some kind of a gas station thing, you know? It, mm. It's really true. Our brains are being bombarded everywhere, but your brains are being bombarded. There's somebody else on this little talk here too, whose brain may or may not have been bombarded there. Paul. <laughs> Paul yeah. would be his yeah. name. I'm Paul, taking I, I it just, all in. Paul's, um, hey, Paul's the beauty. Paul's the body. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just here to, uh, yeah, just rub my my chin. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think no, so. Paul, buddy. No, um, you know, I I was never clinically diagnosed with depression um, or anxiety, but you know, I I think in retrospect, I, I was certainly dealing with a lot of psychological issues uh, just because my emotions were all over the place you know when I was discharged I felt like I lost you know part of my identity and um, you know physical things like you know crying over that loss so obviously I was disturbed and then you know the way I acted and behaved and with you know little to no regard for my own well-being and uh, substance abuse and getting in fights, you know, so my, you know, my tolerance or my drive for stimulation resorted to violence in my own experience. And, uh, you know, so clearly I, w- I was mixed up. Um, I never went and got professional help because I, I, I was just kind of rebelling and didn't want, didn't want help. Um, you know, so right now you know just that little tidbit that you shared about the types of uh depression uh, that can be associated in wartime um was very educational and like had that been just basic education for me going into the military um who knows how that could have changed things for me and others so you know the first thing coming to my mind right now is is what's the current intake like for the military on educating recruits and uh new trainees about these health issues is there so they do uh they do especially in the trade aqua training facilities you know they, they they push mental health you know they really pushed the idea of coming out and, and speaking forward to make sure that you're not, you know, perpetuating any sort of, you know, long-term issues, uh, depression, anxieties about even just being there. Uh, the issue that they run into is that it's easy to say that. And then when it comes to the execution, you got, you know, kids that don't trust their drill sergeants, you know, uh, you know, improper people in places of position, that won't effectively get, you know, soldiers the care they need when they are coming in. Uh, You know, there's a, you understand that hard transition from, you know, you're a civilian here and then all of a sudden check all your shit at the door. Now shave your head and now you're ours. Um, And it's just as quick a handoff the other way. It's just as quick, you're just kind of pushed out the door by the same way when you leave. It's well, it, it's it sort yeah, yes, um, or you get dragged through like Sean three years of a retirement process, a year and a half for myself, uh, for the retirement process, um, or, or they just beat you down. Like a lot of times, they'll be like, Okay, here's your VA rating, and it'll be something that you want to argue with something or that they'll give it to you on a Friday, on you know, on a four day week, and it'll be like, You've got till Monday to have this signed by the adjutant general, and it's like. <laughs> I, I, he doesn't even have time to review this. So now I can't appeal anything, even if I want to, because I won't have time to, it's like, Dang. you can't yeah, I, necessarily, oh, go ahead. No, I, 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 so it's really weird. Cause we're talking about both those situations and both of them happened to me. So, I mean, literally my, my enlistment was for four years and I was in, they had to stop loss me twice because it took so long to get stuff in order. I actually, uh, one of my family members actually had to put a congressional investigation in to find out why I was sitting for three years 
when I, you know, why, why is this guy who's injured waiting to get retired out for three years? What's going on? And uh, when that kind of went through, when, you know, they hit the emergency button, like, uh-oh, like, we're on the radar now. We got to push this guy's packet through. And one day, you know, I'm specialist rooker going to for, uh, early morning formation. And I get a call, hey, your packet's done. And I go there and they, my packet was done. And, and I, you know, I, I mean, I'm like, okay. So I, you know, I sign it and I get everything done. And then uh, they're like, hey, go to dental and do some stuff here. Next thing I know, it's afternoon and I'm signing out of the barracks. And I'm like, what do I do now? And they go, bye. <laughs> I, it was that quick. I went, I literally went from specialist rooker to you are gone. Like I had to, I had just bought a Jeep and I had to green pack one, right? everything. I, what's that? The green one? Yeah. Yeah. Still got, I had to pack everything I owned into that Jeep. I mean, I was putting socks up under the seat <laughs> and, and I, and I, I looked like a gypsy wagon just rolling down the road. <laughs> I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to live. I had to call my sister and I'm like, that's why I'm in East Tennessee. I said, I have nowhere to, I'm literally out of the army. I, I have nowhere to live. Can I come to East Tennessee and stay in your guest room? And so you have, wait for three years and then all of a sudden, boom, see you pal. How's your mental well, health, buddy? You good? You good? <laughs> <laughs> How you faring? Oh man, that was a weird, that was weird, man. <laughs> Yeah, but that, that yeah, was... Uh, did, that, did that start the process, dude? I remember mine, the day I signed out, I, I, I immediately looked in the mirror. I went to the... I, I pee, went pee, looked, washed my hands, looked in the mirror, and I was like, how am I supposed to cut my hair now? Like, what do I do? Like, and then <laughs> I sat at home for a few hours, and I was like, hey, I got to go to urgent care. I think I'm having a heart attack. Like, I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> like, so oh, like, man. It's, it's a three and a half, it was a, th a three and a half hour drive from West Tennessee out to where I'm at. And I just like, it was three and a half hours, of the most deep reflection of like what had transpired for four years and change. And, um, and then I, you know, I show up here and I'm like, you know, I, I it just was weird, man. It's like, I, I you know, I mean, it was just like, bam, it, it, it was definitely a, a culture shock, I guess, in a way. It's like, what, who am I now? What am I now? Um, the fight's over of, you know, what the army's gonna do with me and things like that. And it's over, it's done, you're out. You are out of the army. And who the heck is, <laughs> is Sean Rooker? Because there was always a rank in front of that for the past four years, you know? Yeah. Now, did you, um, did you end up afterwards, did you end up, you know, getting, into the prescriptions did you you know what that look yeah like? they well, yeah i'll be quick about it yeah so they did uh you know i i so i got out there's like a two month waiting time that the va kind of you know had me drive around uh get my traumatic brain injury checked again and all these other things and stuff like that but then um you know uh i because i I was retired out of the, the army. I actually had a, a, civilian, a civilian doctor here who I'm no longer going to. And, um, you know, they, they put me on a pretty much a one a day. And um, that kind of started that. And I just started feeling, you know, I mean, it just, I was, I just wasn't uh, the, the uh, annoying guy I am now. I wasn't laughing as much. I wasn't, uh, you know, I had no, there was just, it was just kind of like me. You know, like nothing was really that funny. Nothing really made me that sad. It was flat. It was a flat. No. Yeah. And so, you know, and, you know, there's just things that went with that. And I just kind of felt like I was on cruise control in life. Um, you know, I was kind of rolling, rolling down the road without the windows down. I wasn't really feeling the travel. I wasn't mm -hmm. feeling the journey, you know. And, uh, and, and then I just... I just got I just got sick and tired of just kind of being in neutral and kind of coasting, man. Well, along with the, um, with the medication, did you know? And, and the reason I'm asking this for purposes leading up, but did you also like? Were you also kind of like mentally filling the veteran persona of like, which we've talked about before, which is the disgruntled nature, like the disgruntled, like I'm okay. just a disgruntled veteran, leave me alone. 
because you mixed that man go, go ahead no it, it, i mean it, yeah i had that it came out it came out in me when i first started coaching i mean i was walking around the field like a drill sergeant you know what i mean and you know like like it just i i have evolved a lot as a coach over these you know six seven eight nine ten years so um uh, but yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I mean, I, I did, man. I was walking around like, you know, uh, what's, uh, I was walking around like a 250 pound pissed off gorilla and, um, and you know, so you, but, you just had, you know, a, a resting, you know, slight, slightly unpleasant look, but did you ever have any violent thoughts like that would progress beyond that? Well, I was, I, Paul, I was a lot like you. I mean, I, I was fighting to feel something, um, I mean, I, I was, you know, I mean, I couldn't, um, I never did any, uh, you know, drug abuse or anything like that. But I mean, I, I, I drank, I could fight a brick wall. The more you hit me, the, the more I, I mean, it just, cause I was looking to feel something I was looking yes. for. And, and if, if I was getting emotions or feeling something through pain, then pain was a good thing. And I'm not saying I was, you know, hurting myself, but right. Yeah. You know, right. the, the you know, a guy, a guy's wailing on your face and you're smiling at him and he's like, what? <laughs> uh, this is not the normal response to this, but, uh, you know, I went through all that. I went through, you know, trying to feel again through mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that stuff. So that's two, two out of three of us that went through a, a violent my, mine was never violence. Um, I, I'm still not violent today. Um, I've always been, mine has always been geared towards self-hatred, unfortunately. So um, it, it goes more instead of violence, mine went into self-destructive behavior, um, jumping out of moving cars, uh, just being like, I just bought a new longboard today. It's beautiful. Like I just, I let my kids decorate it. But like, you know, when I get off of here, as a part of, I'm going to go, I'm going to go bomb, you know, a quarter mile hill at 35 miles an hour without a helmet on, because that's what I love to do. Like it just, so there are, <laughs> I, I, you know what I've, I've, resi I've resigned to the fact that I will get a helmet, you know, cause I have, I've got kids, I've got to promote that for them. So, you know, I'm going helmet on, I'm, I'm slowly working my way out there, but like, thank you, thank you. um, yeah, no, it never went to violence. It always went towards adrenaline. Yeah, mm. see that self hatred. A lot of self hatred, <laughs> you know. Um, that's that's been a big part of it. Uh, I th I, but I think a lot of that comes with developing your identity. But you know, so I think those are important issues. It's like so you know, just that little you know two minute explanation that Doc G gave would have helped me uh, in a preparation aspect. Um, and then, you know, just health education. Like, you know, if, if I would have known some of the health education that I know now as a health professional, you know, I would have certainly felt more equipped. Like, I, I feel like I just got lucky, you know, making the choice I made to go to school and, and, and learn, you know, because who knows how much farther down that hole I would have gone in self-destruction had I not made that choice, you know, I was lucky to have friends and family, but you know, it wasn't, um, it, I wasn't absolutely sure that health was what I needed to do. Um, so I feel like it was just kind of a shot in the dark and I got lucky in that respect, you know, but it, I just felt, I feel like if, if we know these things are existing, um, you know, and, what it's a problem that needs to be solved so you now that's why i was so attracted to the warrior workout network in the first place because you know i'm looking for any any avenue to to help solve the problem um but i just wish there was more going on from from the military itself any any of the branches well dr g i mean you've been on you've been on the front line with this fight i mean you've been kind of I mean, you know, you've, you've talked about this several times. You've been pretty much carrying the, the guide on with this and, you know, kind of charging forward. I mean, what are you kind of seeing from your end and, and 
kind of like what our stories are kind of coming together here is this collage. I mean, is this something you've seen before? Um, you know, unfortunately it is. And that's what was really bothering me. You could see as I was sitting here, I was getting more and more contemplative, like, you know, what the, the heck? Um, it's been a while since I've had three on one. I'm pretty much a one on one person when I'm asking, <laughs> but I just have a couple things to say. And one of the things is somebody here, because you three guys are really, you know, good and motivated writers, needs to write the book, Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It's not just about the sex. It's about everything. Don't ask us, don't tell us, we're not gonna take care of it. I, mm -hmm. I have never, in my, and that's a civilian, and an older civilian from the outside in looking at people who could be, you know, my kids or my grandkids saying, I, I don't know of an employer in the United States of America that can get by with doing this. You know, I, I just honestly don't know that. You don't know why you're going in or what you're gonna be served with. You're not given your owner's manual. Day one, you may die. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, sure, no, okay, what about this? Day one, you won't die, but your buddy next to you will be blown up all over you and it'll affect you for the rest of your life. But just, I mean, there is nothing that is open or transparent that I can see as a civilian at all. Okay, number one. Number two, I always said, and what I said when I gave my first talk down at Fort Bragg and, and God love uh, Lieutenant General Joseph Anderson was there and he was so good to listen to it. I said, you know, I see your guys when they are released from here and they're given a handful of cash and a handful of opiates and neither one of those will help them go further in their life. They're mm. going to get just like you did. You're going to get to your sister's guest room and there you're going to be. Because pretty soon, all of the opiates, if you were given some, will be taken and you would have spent your money on a new car. That's what I saw, like, young man after young man after young man. So I think that the VA is kind of like um, in unison with that because your life when you come back is really sucking. Your life that you had before, well, there are several people. I'm not saying that military service isn't good. You learn a lot of good things. But certainly being deployed in war is never going to be a great experience. And they say, okay, so now we're going to have you forget all that. So, yeah. you know, when you were talking about taking one pill a day, the average amount of pills that my guys were taking, the hundred that I was able to take care of when I was at the VA, were 19. I mean, you've got a 20-year-old to a 24-year-old taking, you know, nine pills okay and I said okay this this really isn't good and like I'm sitting there at that point in time that was a little bit back I'm two and a half years older than these guys we're gonna go exercise you know why is my endurance better than yours wait a minute I'm out here you know you had to put on rucksacks and climb up well the adrenaline's no longer there your good hormones your endorphins are, are no longer there you're not sleeping so you're fatigued the entire physiologic system in your brain controlling the rest of your body is gone. It's not there. It's not working. It's not functioning. It's recoverable so, though. I'm sorry? It's recoverable though. Definitely it's recoverable. And it's certainly not going to be recoverable by adding more pills is what I'm saying. No, so no, at the beginning no. we were talking, you know, big pharma has a lot to do about this. So when I went to the VA where I was a volunteer, and I said, okay, here's what we want to do. We want to do some, and then we've got want Paul, because Paul kind of has a great deal. He and you, Andrew, both have great ideas about what you do. Health. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do holistic stuff, and we're going to, you know, re-trap re the brain. We're going to recharge the brain. No, 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 we're not. Because what you're talking about, again, don't ask, don't tell, okay? What you're saying that you want to do is going to cost us money. So we just assume yeah. give the pills because many of the pills that they do, and I know it was the Paxil was number one and Zoloft, those two, like those were, I think, like five cents. Wow. And I think Prozac was 10 cents a day. And Seroquel, I understand, were 25 cents a day. And they go, that's a lot easier. But, you know, the, con the consequences to the person taking this are not inexpensive. The consequences to the family are not, and the consequences to society may not be either. Because these are the youngest, the fittest, the most together people we have, and we are destroying them when they leave mm -hmm. the service, you know. And I'm not saying everybody, because only 30% actually go to the VA. 
there's another 70% that flounder out there by themselves. Doesn't get well right away. So, so the, 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 the services, they do try in their own way, but like any organ, any mass organization that's going to have any sort of, you know, bureaucratic system to it, you know, getting all those person, one thing won't fix everybody. So they do try to figure out ways to help them transition out and, and on the larger scale, but you know. You know, all you have to do is look at the suicide rate. That's all you really have to do to say, you know, I, that would make me, you, we, 2001 invaded Afghanistan, 2003 invaded New York, which in New York. <laughs> my Made in Iraq. Iraq. <laughs> Can you edit that out? <laughs> I'm definitely be in jail for that one. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, conspiracy. Is <laughs> that? But um, but we haven't fixed that yet. You seems it seems to me that would have been called for to have a major fix before then, before 2000, now. So two thousand. So I've got. The, I, I keep these on hand. So 2005 to 2017, the suicide rates, and this is where the 22, 22 a day thing doesn't make any sense to me. No, it's way too low. Well, actually, um, when you go annually, 2005 it was 15.9 per day, 2000, and I'll just do these in order. 15.9 per day, 15.6, 16.1. In 2008, it spiked all the way to 17 a day. 2009, it was 16.9. 2010, it was 16.9 again. 2011, 16.8, 16.8, 16.8, 17.2 in 2014, 17.1, 16.4, and 16.8. Um, and that last one was done in 2017. So, yeah, but what do those numbers really mean, Andrew? Because we're not talking about anything that could be described as something else. The accidental overdose, the accidental one car motorcycle crash, you know, one car into a bridge, one motorcycle over a bridge, one motorcycle into it. All of those are, are suspect or said the other way. Well, yeah, you know what? That's absolutely fair. I mean, um, even in our own, you know, experiences, um, you know, we'd lost, a, we'd lost a few people to accidental, you know, overdose. And you wonder, you're like, what that? You have to sort of rationalize within yourself, like, okay, like he didn't mean to do it, but like that was the end result, and it's very sad. And unfortunately, it does go under that uh, that demographic as you know, as a veteran suicide. And it's you're right. So um, even, but even with those numbers, I, I we still average roughly about six thousand veterans a year. And, and to my knowledge, and I've been in the medical profession for a long time, I can tell you that I don't know of one suicide on the steps of one civilian hospital <laughs> in like the state of Ohio. We had three suicides in Georgia alone within a very short period of time. I mean, that doesn't happen in a civilian world. That's a cry or somebody not listening or not being able to. But you guys, I mean, again, mm -hmm. I'm coming from the civilian world where, and, and, and I need Paul to be talking soon about the able-bodied because that's where we want to get and, 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 yeah. and talking about becoming able-bodied. But part of the problem you guys had when you came back in my estimation, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but you know, you spent all this time getting ready for war. And my God, you are the fittest people we have in the United States of America. And you know what? All those other guys are the fittest guys and gals that they have in those countries too. Okay. All coming together to fight for countries that may or may not know what we're doing there. You know, the people who sent you there. But then suddenly you get injured, you're blown up and they say, okay, Sean, you know, you've been blown up, you've had a few things going on. Prove to me you're not as good as you were. <laughs> we saw the vehicle. It's completely mangled. It's turned over. A couple people died, but, you know, we're not so sure. Why don't you? you know, and it's fucked up because you'll, you'll see somebody only get 10% disability for losing an entire limb. I know, oh, no. I mean, that's what I'm saying. 
And not only that, at least in the civilian world, they go see a doctor, they don't have to prove it and do all that. <laughs> the a guy just signs up a thing, you go see a doctor and you've got this like chart of what things are. I, I can't believe that you can have people who seriously cannot think anymore, cannot process anymore, cannot remember. They go, oh, you know, they, they agree my TBI, they gave me 5% disability. Really? Because you can't leave your, your parents' house, you know? Yep. It, it does, it, and it does tend to, so where do you, where does one go from there? Say you've got the scenario where you know you've been hurt, you've been really screwed on a rating, um, and it seems like you have no options. You know, where does one find their resilience from at that point? I think foundations and organizations uh, like the Warrior Workout Network, I mean, that's what I think the existence of, uh, you know, Wounded Warrior, Operation Second Chance, all of them, it's, if, you know, we're, we're here to, to be there, you know, and, you know, something that I want to do from my corner is, is offer that, that strength and conditioning aspect that uh, I was able to self-heal through and, um, you know, and start making a career out of. And, you know, I've, I've mostly worked with civilians, but I'm really excited to begin working with veterans just because these issues that we're talking about, it's so much more meaningful for me as the coach to be working with somebody that's really broken. Uh, and it's not like I'm taking pleasure in their brokenness, but um, it's so much more rewarding for, for me as the coach when, when th those are the stakes uh, and it's not a couple pounds that, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones want to lose, you know, before, you know, their, their summer beach trip. Yeah. Um, and, Substance. you know, I'm, I'm absolutely ready and chomping at the bit, you know, to, as you guys know, to start serving in, in that respect, because, you know, we're, we're, to, this is a life and death issue. This is not. What did you do? What burning you calories. <laughs> What was your turning point? What got started? Because I, I was talking to you before and you were pretty exact as to what you started doing. And I think yeah, I yeah, didn't my... use that right now. Yeah. So for me, it was uh, feeling the ground underneath me. You know, I, I had, you know, rode this ride that was so turbulent out of the military. And in the beginning of my return to you know, civilian life, and for me, it was connecting with the ground again through my bare feet and it just came haphazardly when I was throwing the football with my younger brother in the front yard. And for, you know, a, a couple months up leading up to that point, I had in my free time in physical activity been trying to mimic the military training that I had done. And I was just continuing to uh, exacerbate the Chiari malformation and trigger those symptoms and um so playing in the front yard with my younger brother and i was barefoot at the time and i just realized how much more i felt uh comfortable exerting myself uh, throughout that time that we were out throwing the football and that just kind of made me question i just kind of stopped and paused and thought well is there is there something more to this that i can gain um, you know, because the military doctors told me to just avoid things that hurt me. Um, and so I put duct tape on my heels and put duct tape on the balls of my feet and uh, started jogging and running around my neighborhood. And for the first time in, you know, a year up to that point, I, I was running pain free and I was able to, to enjoy it. And I wasn't it was different though. It was different in that I was, I was enjoying it on a level of uh, re relaxation. Up to that point, running had always been like, you know, go fast, go hard. There was really no time to enjoy it, you know, because you know it was all performance based. But here it is. My my body was, I think, broken, and I was mentally ready to try anything uh, that. I was willing to go as slow as I needed to go. And when you're barefoot running, you have to go pretty darn slow 
when you get started. Otherwise, you're not going to be walking right for the following days to come. Right, so, right. so yeah, and so I think physically it it forced me to slow down, and and that gave me mentally time to think about my surroundings, the trees, the smells I was smelling, the sounds I was hearing. Um, and that just kept leading me to try more and more of that stripping away things I was dependent on. Um, and that kind of just took me down a rabbit hole of, kind of uh, holistic health and, and performance, which is really big on you know, mindfulness and you know, foundational components of strength and conditioning, like breathing and in the rhythm of movement and um and that's all stuff that i was never introduced to earlier because growing up it was just team sports and it was you know your basic we're going to practice the sport we play and we practice so we can win and you know it was great social you know, to, to be on a team socially to be on a team but outside of that there was none nothing presented to me in high school or middle school or college that said movement and physical activity can serve you uh, on so many different levels when you slow down and or you take your shoes off or you engage in unstructured unstructured physical activity which doesn't have a purpose like to to win a game or to execute ex amount of reps or lift x amount of weights or burn x amount of calories the the basis of an unstructured play is to just go be part of the environment you know to and to manipulate the environment so climb trees go over rocks you know get on the ground um, and change levels in your environment and what i would come away with from those unstructured physical activity sessions was my vision. I could see things differently. I could, I could look down a trail and I could see 20 feet ahead of me, the rocks and the trees I would bounce off of as I'm like bombing down a, a mountain trail. So like I started to see my surroundings differently in, in that light. And I felt like equipped, like and proud of myself. I could walk away from this trail and be like, I'm the master of this space and it gave me an, an identity back and something it really started to give me something to go back for more and more and more of each day. Um, and it, it was, that was, I guess what I needed was something on, on a deeper level because I couldn't engage anymore in the, traditional physical activity space, you know, because that no pain, no gain fitness mentality obviously didn't work out for me. <laughs> well, it, it, you, had, you had exhausted it. I mean, let's yeah. get serious. When you're doing that, that's just like in preparation for war and being in war. All of your adrenaline gets centered in that fight or flight center. It all stays in the midbrain. It's all there. You don't have time to think. In fact, you're not supposed to be thinking. You're just supposed to be acting. And what you were talking about, it was so, it was so beautiful, Paul, this, this, this tradition, because you can literally feel the adrenaline and the other chemicals being able to finally connect to your thinking brain. You know, you're, you're seeing things all the way down the path, not just seeing your immediate surrounding to see if you're gonna be safe. You're smelling, right. when you said about breathing, you know, what you were actually experiencing, and I've seen so many young men and women say the same thing, is you're experiencing life. Mm -hmm. you know, otherwise, in battle, in training, you're experiencing survival, right. which is life on the edge of death, which is very different than life itself. And, and just being able to breathe and to hear, you know, so now your brain is saying, oh my God, like there's a lot of good things going on here. And we can move this adrenaline and this mm. endorphin feeling all the way through the brain and get all parts of it reconnecting. That's what you were actually doing with that. And you, wow. and you said incredible. it so beautifully, you know, it, it really is a, a, an amazing journey. And you actually did it very quickly. Again, being younger and being fitter, it, it's a big help, you know, that's sure, really. Sure.
So, Paul, that is absolutely a route to consider when overcoming an obstacle like a stuck point like that. Um, considering the, do you want to call it an SSRI epidemic? I mean, is that what you would consider this? Uh, like some sort of. Yeah. I call, I think it's an epidemic, and you know the fact that at least thirty-four to forty percent more prescriptions for SSRIs have been um, written in our country since the beginning of this pandemic sometime in March. I mean, that's a huge uptick, you know, and that's just the ones that people are kind of, you know, they're looking over and reporting. It doesn't talk about the families that get together and share them. I mean, there's just a, a whole lot of that type, and, and I'm not blaming anybody it's happening because we don't know what to do to cope i mean look where you know you guys are are, are really young so you've always had some kind of some technology you know um takes me eight minutes just to get on this because i've not had technology <laughs> i remember the times with what paul was talking about that was every day you know like we did that every day so it, it just i really do believe that our technology has definitely you know out progressed our brain and so we get that and then we get issues and you know when we talk about things like civil unrest and we talk about the protests and that you know we ought to just stand back and say you know what there was a time when people didn't really care about what was going on with somebody else you know what we have to do i mean now we, we become more caring but let's like rope in these emotions just a little bit and see what we can do to make things happen for the better rather than to than to destroy things the destructive things is what i'm worried about when they said you know three percent of adults that went on these had violent outbursts that lasted for up to you know three months after being taken off and it's not yeah. just a small study in europe it's eight hundred thousand people you know that's a pretty decent study to see um and i think when you add things like you know the the heat of the summer and you add the pandemic and people haven't seen people and you add the fact that there is this civil unrest for for a good reason for a good reason and then we've got an election where it, i can't even watch the news anymore because you know yeah. what's going to happen there <laughs> you know i think i'm going to start moving uh out of the country during election years i mean really it's crazy I think, isn't uh, it? I think i'm pretty done with that i think i'm done with election years i think we need lotteries <laughs> i've decided we need a lottery you know um so what you're, you're you're absolutely right. Like when they're talking, that's 785,337 people that, uh, you know, were, they were testing with this. And 5.7% of men, based on these figures, became more violent. Um, and then 1% of women, uh, which is, even that study, 64.2% of them were female. Only 1% were having the, uh, the violent outbursts, is what this is saying. And... I mean, when you consider it too, like one of the, the verbiage that they used was, you know, um, increased in people with violent incarcerations. And you're like, well, I mean, what about, you know, people with just violent history? Like people, because you, now you're going, you have to factor them into that larger equation because it's, it can't just be the incarcerated that, ha that can be, uh, why would they, my question is why would they only bring out the incarcerated if those I mean maybe because it's the only actual figures they have but I mean when you consider that I mean people with traumatic experiences are in any form whether they're incarcerated or not are likely going to have a, a more adverse effect to the SSRIs and um, be more likely to have those you know violent outbursts I guess but I mean the, what gets me is the, the there could be a way to combat these issues without going to the medications. You've got, I mean, holistic healing, you have the outdoors, you have, you know, it, it, and when you talk about, you know, added stressors from the outside, Dr. Gordon, like, you know, the civil unrest, you know, I think this is where it's, if I just took a two week, like media break and it's been amazing. I'm not going back to Facebook. I'm done with Facebook. I'm not going back to Twitter. I'm done with Twitter except for business purposes and Instagram, like it, 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 it's, I don't know. It's been great. It's been freeing to not be a part, to not kind of wiggle within that, that medium. Go ahead, Rook. I, I just, but I, I think that, that 
what you know dr g has been talking about and and kind of what i'm piecing together from you know you and paul and i have a little bit of, of this as well the it's negative out there outside your front door it's negative man and you know we i don't you know paul changed his view by hitting the trail you change your view by actually just changing your view and being like you know what i'm gonna spend two weeks and actually focus on things that are important to me my family things like that you took the time out from all the negativity out there you know i uh, i went uh the other night and and sat at a table with a group of friends of every nationality you could think of and and it really refreshed the the idea in my mind that things are really not as bad as it's portrayed on television. I'm not saying that there's not a problem, okay? And I'm not gonna get into that whole thing because that's not what this episode is about. What I'm saying is, is that I took, you know, I take a chance to go out and I sit down with a bunch of people from all over the place, good friends. We can talk about a lot of good things, a lot of laughter, and there was no negativity that night. Right. And so, you know, what are we, what are we letting into, you know, if, 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 if your heart is, is what's driving you and your mind is the compass, I mean, who's holding the compass here? You know what I mean? Who are you going to let hold the compass here? And, you know, I just, with every, with everything going on, it, I think it's a, a personal responsibility that we all reach out in a way, take that, take that first step, that brave step of, yeah, the negativity's there, uh, but we, you know, find something that brings positivity into your day. Hitting the trail, getting away from all the social media, being with your family. I'm sure you're just watching, you know, your, your daughter run around and, and stuff like that is a beautiful thing, you know, and, and I'm, you know, here's the TV telling me that everything's on fire and yet I'm sitting here at a table with a bunch of people who didn't give a crap if you're red, white, pink, or polka dot, we are all Americans and having a great time and, and talking about family and music and, you know, enriching each other's lives through conversation. What are you filling your day with? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We do have that. And I, I wanted to say my thing is now transcendental meditation, which I did sporadically. Uh, but mm -hmm. now um, the David Litz Foundation, Bob Roth, who's the CEO, every morning, I mean, They've got literally, you sign on, you, you get a telephone, you get them. I'm meditating every morning at seven o'clock with 1,800 people. Wow. I mean, and then that goes through, it's repeated twice in, my, in every time zone, it's repeated twice. And then they do the afternoon and it's the same. So there are a lot of us who are taking that same route, what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I really wish that there were a way that the, hyper news media could see what they're doing, you know, but instead they just get more and more sponsors for more and more viewers. But in reality, it's not really helping the country because it's not giving, I don't think that extra added thing, there's a lot of goodness going on right now in the midst of this pandemic, a lot of goodness. And that never makes the news except for that one story at the end, you know. Conflict sells. Is there, is there a way that after a vet gets uh, prescribed um, these SSRIs that they could also be put in, entered into a system to be reached out to by uh, an organization, let's say the, the veteran, uh, the Warrior Workout Network. I mean, I know there's a lot of That's privacy right. things there, but boy, could, could they voluntarily sign up at, at with their doctor like all right i'm getting these ssris uh, but i can also volunteer to be reached out to by you know an organization that can support me i think at that point the doc the doctor would have to depend on whether it was a chemical need for like an imbalance for the ssri um or whether they were just masking trauma so i, I think that would have to be a very and it'd be depending on, on, on the, the, the physician to have, you know, the, the best interest of the patient in mind, which I'm not saying they don't all do, but, you know, right. they would be taking those into account. Um, do you, 
don't want to go into this too much, but like I, I think that we are talking SSRIs and antidepressants, but it really seems like the episode is shaping into what can we do to combat SSRIs and the antidepressants. It's actually a more positive thing, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think accepting that right now I'm going over what I am willing to share out of my book, which is basically the um, the same thing we're talking about, which is reconnecting to nature. Um, you know, and one of the biggest things is even just getting hope and being inspired. It's amazing what inspira inspiration will do, uh, you know, more for your brain than, you know, I mean, more for you, you know, your willingness to get out than anything. And I think inspiring people to, to actually take the active approach to be, to be involved in their healing is a big part of it. You know, when I talked about earlier with, you know, the services, they do try to help you when you're getting out. And a lot of that does fall on the responsibility of the veteran to be like, to do that self inventory and say like, okay, things are tough. Am I responding to, do I still have the reflex to yell? Do I still have the reflex to do this and get angry immediately? Because you know that in the military, we don't just, when things go wrong, we don't just, you know, like, oh, hey, how can we possibly do this? <laughs> we know it's not that. And then we take, but the problem is, we don't know any better. So then you get out and you think that the, the appropriate response to things going wrong is, hey, fuck face, let's pick this. It's just not. And unfortunately, I think people are not willing to give up that part of themselves, which is that rough edge, that ri that rigid edge of, you know, like, well, I was in service, so I'm allowed to be an asshole. Like, I can be, I can, I'm allowed to have this reflex. Like, right. I swear, if you shed it, you'll be a lot fucking happier. Like, <laughs> I, I battle with, I battle with that reflex all the time. Like, the quick, like, oh, like, fucking stop, like, like. It's hard. You ever have three kids in a pandemic? Anybody? Anybody ever have That's <laughs> the one. Bro, <laughs> oh, you want to talk about testing your patience. <laughs> um, so, yeah. You I, know, think I think that when you talk about the thing, I just wanted to bring up about one of the best books that I read when I was coming out of my TBI was The, uh, the Right Brain Where God Lives. Okay. So I'm a totally left brain person before this, uh, before my little accident. And suddenly my left brain is like not where, I mean, not working to the point I can't speak. So there's really not much working on the left side of the brain, but the right brain, it really is the creative brain. And I always kind of balance my pre-injury brain and my post-injury brain. And in reality, I miss my pre-injury brain all the time. It was a smart brain. I could read things and remember them for years. I couldn't see a patient's social security number. When they came and see me at the end of the day, I could tell you all of my patient's social security numbers, their addresses. I mean, that's how good my brain was. I couldn't read C-spot run. Okay. But now I've got this right brain. I started writing music. That was the first thing to help me back because I couldn't talk but I could write notes and then I could write a few little sentences and get some what I'm saying is in the movie Rent and in the play Rent there was one line that said it all and I think of you guys just tonight where they said it when he screams the opposite of war isn't peace it's creation it's not doing nothing and sitting there it's rebuilding what has been destroyed and I think that the key to every single person who's been in a war zone, who's been in major trauma, who has viewed some major destructive force is to be able to do something, whether it's music or poetry or humor or, or limericks or exercise or a combination of them or meditation. It's all in that right brain when at the end of your doing that activity, you say something new happened here. Something was rejuvenated, something came back. And, and that's one of the things I would really like to, to leave with your readers. And I will say, in all honesty, Andrew, I don't think you get that in the military, and I don't think you get that at the VA.